Howdy. It is episode 27 of MacBook Pro. It's been 16 days since I posted the last episode. And to be honest, I don't really know what has caused my lack of podcasting recently. I guess as it's gotten warmer in Berlin, there's just been more to do and more more dancing. I also had a company trip last week which was quite nice to Athens and yeah it's been a really nice May so far like for me May June and October are probably my favorite months but I've probably talked enough about October on here already but in case you haven't heard Halloween is my favorite holiday. Fall is my favorite season. I like extremes when it comes to how I live my life. So I'm either zero or I'm 10 with most things that I do. But when it comes to seasons, I really like spring as it's leading into summer and fall as it's leading into winter. Because I feel like both of those um, seasons give me a bit more perspective and there are different seasons in your life right so like in some parts of your life you might really be focused on your career and other seasons of your life you might be more focused on family and you know no one is expected to be a hundred percent consistent in any one direction you know we might change our minds month to month and that's okay. A lot of our behavior is also cyclical, and I do think that it's heavily affected by the seasons as well. So when spring is here, I always get very excited because I love it when it's somewhere around like 65 to 75 degrees Fahrenheit, and maybe that would be somewhere around 20 degrees Celsius. I'm not sure. And that's like ideal for me. And then when fall rolls around, I start to listen to a lot of folk music and indie, indie rock. Um, but not, nothing is upbeat. Everything is like super, uh, depressing, I guess. I listen to like, um, I want to say Donovan. Damn. I'm actually not able to remember this, this artist's name. And it's kind of sad because I, uh, there we go. I got it. Donovan Woods. Uh, he's, he's a really good singer, but I like to listen to like a lot of folk stuff. So like acoustic guitar, pretty slow. A lot of the songs are about love or the lack thereof and, uh, and small town vibes. So now that it's spring, I have like my indie rock playlist. Everything is super upbeat. You know, you have some modest mouse. You also have the strokes, um, yeah, some uh, some uh, black keys, some 
Dang, man. Oh, broken bells. There we go. Man, it is difficult to focus my attention in the morning and to recall things. And I did not go out last night. I I stayed in like a good boy and I watched a documentary and I learned a lot. And then I went to my bedroom and I read some of a book, some, 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 some chapters of a book. It was pretty nice. Some of my friends have observed recently that I, I'm quite radical. And actually, this is, I mean, nothing new for me, right? I think my friends say this to me every single year. They always say either, wow, you are so disciplined and you, you know, you're kind of like a hermit hiding in your shell all winter. Or they say, dude, you're going crazy. And to that, I actually would not disagree to to either of those statements. Again, it's all about seasons. In the winter, I just hibernate. And then in the summer, I kind of come out and go crazy. But this summer, with my race coming up, I have to be a little bit more disciplined than I have been recently. Because once this race is here, man, it's just... It's just 30 hours of running and there's no way around it. You can walk because you're, I mean, in a, in a race like that, you kind of have to walk a little bit unless you're an elite runner. But even if you're an elite runner, there's going to be periods where you hike or you walk fast, whatever you want to call it. But I'm going to definitely, you know, be walking as well. But just because you're walking, it doesn't mean that it's that much easier like your body still hurts with every step that you take. When I was in Lofoden in Norway, there was a uh, a period of the race. It was like actually like right before I, I called the race off, I quit it. It was around like the 50 mile mark. And we had, sorry, excuse me. We had just, uh, me and this German dude had just climbed up a, um, up like this, <clears throat> this winding mountain road that led up to the peak. We had to hike it, so it wasn't like an actual paved road. So we climb up this entire like, you know, mountain peak. It takes us like two hours from the last aid station where we were sitting down and enjoying um, the warmth of this fireplace and eating warm food. It was amazing. Like we're sitting there, it's this like old house um, there's two people and they're just like taking really good care of us. And they're like, Oh, take a seat, take a seat. I take a seat. I, you know, take off my shoes. I'm like trying to like manage my blisters and whatnot. And in that moment, all I wanted to do was stay there. And I was just hoping that one of them would like rescue me from the race. But anyway, um, that's not how it goes. They actually encourage you to leave because they're like, you got to finish this race. Let's go. So they, they pushed us out. I mean, not really, but they encourage us to, to keep going. And as we're climbing up the mountain, you know, my feet are killing me and everything else. And as you get to the bottom of the mountain, uh, there was this, there was like a lot of flat land, which is the part of the race that actually kills me the most. Like downhills, I hate because it hurts my toes. Like I have, I always get bruises under my toenails, but the flat, the flat land is actually like what really kills your joints, at least for me. And so it's kind of interesting that I would choose a race in August in Berlin that is literally only flat. 
So this is really kind of, um, it's daunting because I prefer climbing. That's my strength when it comes to these ultra runs. I just, I just don't really, I don't hurt when it comes to like ascending stuff. Um, I think it's cause I'm, I'm, I don't know. I, I like to think it's because my legs are strong, but I don't know what the reason is. And I just find that it's much more enjoyable when you're hiking up a mountain and I never run, I never run up on, uh, on ultra runs. I never run up the mountains. I always just hike them very fast. And then on the flatland, it's like my knees and my hips are a little bit sore and they go ow, 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 ow with every step that I take. So yeah, <clears throat> um, got to just be a little bit more disciplined with this race coming up, which is what I'm aiming to do. I have a three and a half hour training run today, which should be, I was going to say fun. Honestly, I'm not really looking forward to it, but the sun is coming out early, uh, early afternoon. So I think around one or two o'clock, which will be nice. And that's probably when I'm going to head out for the run. So I'm going to have my cute, my cute little hydration vest on with my water bottles that collapse and some pocket bananas. I know that sounded sexual. I kind of wanted it to. And I'll probably also uh, cut up some apples as well. I try to keep it pretty healthy when it comes to the snacks that I eat on these ra- on these runs. And the reason for that is not what you might think. You might be thinking, whoa, of course you want to keep it healthy. You're running. But actually, when you do these long training runs, and if you do any ultra marathons in general, it doesn't really matter what you put into your body. The most important thing is that you continue to put food into your body and your body starts to crave certain things. It's like pregnancy. Like when you're, when you're running, there's like periods of time where all you want is something salty. All you want is something sweet. But as the race continues, um, especially if you've been eating some of the same, like the same kind of snacks over and over again, you get so sick of it because you have to eat like every 40 minutes and you need to eat like 300 calories. So we're talking like a sizable amount of food. And so if you think about it, every 40 minutes you have to eat something, that means like, I mean, if it's a 30 hour race, you're eating more than 30 times. I don't know what it is. Uh, Maybe like you're eating 45 times or something ridiculous. And so sometimes I'll eat potato chips or in my last, my last race, I ate like veggie burgers and burritos and, you know, tons of sweet snacks that my ex-girlfriend made. And so, yeah, it, um, it, it doesn't really matter what you put inside of your stomach, but in my case, I'm, I'm sugar-free. Like I just don't, I don't eat added sugar. Sometimes I do drink cocktails or like I'll, you know, have a, a mate uh, with, you know, it's, it's sweetened, but I, I do try to, to keep that to a minimum. And I just don't eat anything with sugar in it unless it's like naturally occurring sugar. But even then I'm still pretty cautious about dates and, um, bananas and, you know, anything like figs, anything that has like a lot of sugar naturally, it's still kind of a, um, a danger zone for me. So I don't have bananas in the house. I don't have anything that's like super sweet. 
And that that means that today I'm going to treat myself. Maybe I will go to the grocery store. I'll get some um, bananas and maybe I'll get a little bit of peanut butter and I will treat myself on these runs because today's run, I'm definitely going to need water and I'm probably, since it's three and a half hours, going to need some food as well. But for tomorrow's run, it's an hour and a half and uh, I probably won't won't need no food for that. So yeah, that is um, how I'm spending part of my day. The other part of my day is going to be spent on my new business and doing some much needed stuff for that. And um, man, it has been a wild 2023 so far. Five months in, I feel like my life has spiraled out of control. I feel like I've learned a lot about myself. I've met some really cool people. I've had some great memories already. Like, let me give a, a, a quick story. So we had our offsite for my the company that I work for right now. And um, I love these guys. Like they're they're really like some of the best people that I've that I've ever met. And really just like so intelligent, so funny. Everyone's got like a great sense of humor and a nice personality. But we we went to Athens and the night that we showed up, um, it was it was like 11 o'clock by the time that we landed from Berlin uh, in Athens. And then we like went out to this bar and, you know, it was just like a crazy night. And then we woke up the next day and we had like all of these... Um, challenges that we need like we had breakfast and then we had these challenges that we needed to do we had like two different teams and um we went through the challenges and they were like really fun really interesting you know some of them were creative some of them were kind of scavenger hunty and then the best you know the the team that won um got like some gifts which were really nice and i'm saying they were really nice because i was on the winning team anyway Um, but yeah, there was after that, uh, after the Olympic games or whatever you want to call it were over between the two teams, we went out to a really nice restaurant. We had endless courses of food. Like it was insane how good the food was at this place. I will definitely take my future, uh, wife and child or children to this place. But that was like really the only part of Athens that I thought was nice was this restaurant, um, the rest of it looked extremely Soviet, very, very um, run down, I guess you can say. So, yeah, um, we went to a club later that night and we just like danced until, most of us danced until three o'clock in the morning. I danced until six o'clock in the morning with a handful of uh, of my coworkers that decided to stay with me because we needed to be well, I needed to be at the airport at 7.30 with three of my um, colleagues that live in Berlin. And I just figured, you know, what's the point of getting only three hours of sleep? I may as well get no sleep and then I will fly. So I got no sleep, showed up um, to the meeting spot for us to grab the Uber to the airport. And I was feeling fine. Went through airport security, got to the gate, I was still feeling fine. I drank a lot of water, which is what I credit it 
uh, credited to. And also I ate a huge dinner, which I also give credit to. But um, when we were in the air, it was a different story. So probably, so this flight was about two and a half hours. And I would say probably 45 minutes into the flight, maybe less, I started to feel a little bit unsure of myself, stomach-wise. And it started because like I took a very short nap. Like I'm talking a micro nap of maybe 30 seconds. And when I woke up, I started to feel very dizzy. And it got to a point around the one and a half hour mark, I want to say, where it was unbearable. I was alternating between two different resting positions. One position was me cupping my face with my left hand on an angle. So on like a, a I don't know, let's just call it a 45 degree angle. No, that would have, yeah, 45 degrees. On a 45 degree angle and then a 45 degree angle on the other side. So I'm literally just cupping my face with my hands and, and you know, leaning my arm against the armrest. And I'm biting down as hard as I can to keep myself from throwing up. Like I'm literally just clenching my jaw. And both of the people next to me needed to get up to go to the bathroom. So I had to also get up and let them go past me because I was in the aisle. And both times that that happened, I almost threw up. And then also, you know, letting them back in as well, I almost threw up. And so now the plane is is spinning and I'm holding on for dear life. I'm praying that we are going to land soon. And you know, the thing about flights is that just like anything else, when, when you want it to go by faster, it goes by very, 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 very slow. Like it goes so slowly that you actually feel like every five minutes is like a half an hour. At least that's how it felt for me. So when they said that we were going to land in 45 minutes, I I almost lost my fucking mind because 45 minutes, it, it was an eternity while the plane is spinning and I'm getting vertigo and I'm getting super nauseous. And so um, we finally approach Berlin airport and we're like, you know, we're lowering the landing gear and we swoop down to land, but then we like kind of, go back up again. And I feel like we did that like two or three times. I'm not sure. This is unconfirmed. I was literally unable to see out of the window. I was so, my vision was getting so messed up from this. I had no idea where we were. Like, I didn't know if we were close to the ground or if we were in the air. And normally from the window seat, you can still see the horizon, right? You can still see if buildings are in the horizon, I literally only saw white and I, and it was clear skies that day. So I have no idea what was going on with my vision. Anyway, um, the second time that we like swoop down and go back up again, I'm, I'm like, I know I'm going to throw up. I know it. I know I'm going to throw up. The plane is spinning. I'm chewing or like clenching my jaw as much as I possibly can. And we finally land and we roll down the, the runway and somehow I'm able to keep everything in my stomach. And even as we're rolling to the gate, it's like 
too much for me. I'm still way too dizzy. I'm still like unable to like um, keep the, the plane from spinning. So finally, we pull up to the gate. Everyone's getting up to grab their luggage and to get out. The two people next to me have to climb over me because I cannot stand up. And the girl that was um, in the window seat, she asked me, like, do you want me to call anyone for you? Like an ambulance or something? And I was like, no, please don't. Like, thank you though. And then she's like, okay, no problem. She like leaves. So I eventually stand up and I start like crawling out of the plane, not on my hands or knees, but like my pace is so slow that I think, yeah, any old person would have walked faster than me. So when I finally get out of the plane, the sun is like beating down on my face. The whole world is spinning. I'm so nauseous. I'm like, I'm barely holding on for life. I see um, my three colleagues that are waiting for me because we're all going to take an Uber back. And they're like, all right, hey, dude, uh, we're going to get going. Let's go. Let's go. We got to get back to uh, Berlin. It's a work day. I'm like, guys, I, I can't. You have to go on without me. I just walk past them and I go straight to the bathroom and I just sit in the bathroom. Like I crouch in the bathroom, hovering over the toilet, praying that I can throw up. I would have no such luck. I could not throw up. I was there for an hour. I would go to the bathroom. I would wait in there for like 10 minutes, 15 minutes, come outside in the hallway where the bathroom was, sit on the ground. And the problem was every single time that people made any kind of noise or they passed me like they were walking, it would make me it would make me dizzy. It would make me like actually very nauseated and I would want to throw up. So, um, it was a nightmare. Actually, I was on the, I was like alternating between the bathroom and the hallway, probably for like a full hour and a half. I don't know. And eventually I decided, okay, I'm going to take a train back to Berlin. I don't want to spend the money on an Uber, but unfortunately there was a strike and none of the trains were running, which forced me to get an Uber. And when I get to the Uber, I look at the Uber driver and I'm just like, please, I'm not feeling very well. Can you drive slowly? And he's like, you want me to drive slowly? I'm like, please. And he's like, okay, man, this guy made his Toyota Prius. It's a Toyota Prius, right? This guy made his Prius feel like it was a luxury vehicle. Every single turn that he took, he was so deliberate. He used two hands. I mean, he was just so careful. I mean, obviously, he didn't want me to throw up in the back of his car. But anyway, um, it's normally about, I guess, an hour away um, by car to get to the airport or to get home. This guy probably took us like an extra 30 minutes. Super, super, super slow. I was very grateful for him. And by the time that we made it back, I had already, like every car that passed me, I'm not even joking, every bump that we we hit, every um, reflection of like, you know, sunlight coming from a window, um, the heat 
the sound he was playing the radio so i had airpods in and i was listening to like an anti-nausea playlist every single thing that broke through the anti-nausea playlist made me want to throw up even the anti-nausea playlist made me want to throw up by the time that we get back to my place i thank him and i like make my way up the stairs i was so 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 nauseous or nauseated, I should say. I think that's the right word. And I finally crawled back to my flat. There was no dog because Nudie was with my friend Tibor. And I was just here on the couch praying that life would go away, essentially, because I was not feeling well. And anyway, this was a very long story, I realized. But anyway, I finally went to the doctor uh, Monday this week or Tuesday this week. And the doctor was like, yep, so you're actually, um, you don't have an infection, but you do have a tube from, you know, your nostril to your, where it connects to your ear and it's weak. It's, it is not doing what it needs to do. It's not allowing your ears to equalize pressure. So he wrote me a prescription and when I get to the pharmacy, they hand me the two things that he prescribed to me. They hand me uh, some kind of like nose spray, which is pretty much a saline solution. And they hand me a box that has a small boy with blonde hair. The image looks like it's from the 1970s or the 60s. And it's literally a piece of plastic that you put into your nose and you, you hold your nostril like you push, you press your nostril around this piece of plastic and then you close your other nostril with your finger and there's a balloon at the end of this piece of plastic and the idea is that you blow out with your nose hard enough to equalize the pressure and it blows up the balloon. So I look like a circus uh, performer blowing up a balloon with my nostril but apparently if I do five reps and three, if I do three sets of five reps per day, I am going to get absolutely jacked. Like one of my nostrils is just going to have like veins and it's just going to be super tone. And the other nostril is just going to look like a chicken leg or something, you know? So I'm excited. Um, I just want to be able to fly again. The doctor says I'm not allowed to fly for six full weeks. He actually said, let's see how it goes in six weeks. Come back and we'll figure out, you know, where you're at by then. And man, that is just such an annoying feeling because it's summertime. It would be really nice to go places. But the good news is I'm starting a business anyway. So I'm not trying to spend money on vacation. So I guess it doesn't really matter is what I'm trying to say. Uh, I'm really afraid though of traveling right now anyway, like even getting into cars or on trains, I do feel a little bit nauseous, nauseated. And uh, that's it, you know, that's 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 the trade-off that you get for going to Athens and having a great time and having, you know, your last hurrah with your company before you leave. And it was a beautiful time for me. And um, now I am just going to get jacked, get 
get a jacked nostril so that I can fly again. Ah, man, there is nothing better than coffee in the morning. And of course, there are other things, but I'm actually not going to mention them because they are quite sexual in nature. And this is a show for uh, young adults. So we don't talk about sex. We don't talk about anything that could be taken out of context sexually. Ah, man, it is great to be alive. I'm turning 30 in six months. And what's interesting to me is that the closer I get to 30, the more I realize that there are certain traits that I have and certain habits that are really not serving me and really making it very difficult to progress to the next step of life. And I think everyone, well, I think many people um, recognize this as they're getting closer to their 30s, like that there are, there's kind of like unfinished business, if you will. And we have this expectation that when you reach a certain age, um, things are supposed to just change overnight. So, and this is something that we're programmed to do kind of like, yeah. So like to give an example, when you turn 16 in New York, you can get your, um, your permit to drive. So you kind of get a lot of freedom uh, and you can drive with your, you know, mom in the car or something like that. And then when you turn 17, you can actually get your license and you can drive wherever the heck you want to go. When you turn um, 21, you can drink alcohol. I think 18 used to be the age for cigarettes in New York, but I'm pretty sure it's 21 now. And, um, and then you have like maybe one, two more milestones to look forward to. You have uh, 25 is when it's cheaper for you to rent a rental car. Why did I say rent a rental car? It's cheaper for you to rent a car when you're 25 and older. And then when you're 55, I guess you get AARP. So you can get old people senior benefits. Sorry, mom. And that's it. I mean, I really don't think that there's many other things, many other um, ages to look forward to. And, and of course, retirement in France now is like 64 so or 65 so they have an extra two years now or three years to wait and that's really it and then eventually one day you die (laughs) just joking um i don't know why I, i wanted to make that so dark but the point is we're always looking forward to these new to these like new milestones i mean obviously you're not looking forward to aarp but or getting your rental um uh, your rental costs down, but you know, there are just like certain things that are, um, associated with ages. And even when you're like a little kid, age means so much, you'll say like, I'm seven years, I'm seven and three quarters or I'm 10, but I'm almost 11. And you just like are always trying to get older and older and older and show people how old you are. And then you finally reach like 30 and you're like, please, I just want to be 14 again. I just want to be like, I just want summer to be 10 weeks of hanging out with friends and riding bikes and feeling the sun on my face and, you know, having crushes on girls 
but in like the most innocent way. And that's gone. And that sucks sometimes. But with 30 kind of comes this like new expectation that we put on ourselves, or at least that I've put on myself. I know some of my friends have as well, where it's like, okay, it's time to get serious. It's time to start figuring out what life is all about and doing it. And in my case, I was very, very, very fortunate because I I sacrificed a lot when I was young to get to where I am now. And it didn't really feel like it was much of a sacrifice. I mean, after a certain point, it didn't feel like it was much of a sacrifice because I was starting to gain traction and I, I knew kind of where I wanted to go. And now I'm at in this new place where I'm like, okay, I'm starting the business and things are getting moving and I'm really excited um, to see where things go. But of course, there's a lot of risk and there's unfinished business, as I mentioned. And so some of the things that I'm really working on right now, I think the biggest one is really just like figuring out a solution to boredom because holy shit, when I'm bored, I don't want to do anything. I don't want to take care of myself when I'm bored. I was thinking about this the other day, the word self-respect, we use it a lot, but what does it really mean? We don't know. We just say, oh, self-respect. You're going to respect yourself. But think about it. If, if you respect someone, you make decisions with that person in mind. And that the respect that you have for that person will guide your decision-making and stop you from doing things that are not in that person's best interest. And to give an example, if you really respect your mother and your mother says to you, do not take my car without my permission. And one of your friends comes over to your place when you're a kid. This is obviously a a kid example. Okay, guys, you're 17 and your mom is out of town and one of your friends comes over and your mom's car is in the driveway and your friend's like, yo, let's go get food. Let's just drive your mom's car. If you respect your mom, there's going to be a voice in your head that says, don't do that. Mom said, don't do that. And I respect her. I want, I want have, I want to have a good relationship with her. And I know that it would upset her if I did, if I did the things she told me not to do. That's respect, right? Or if you see, I don't know, you see a mess in the kitchen and you know that when she comes home, it's going to stress her out. You clean it up because you respect her and you want her to feel good. Okay. What is self-respect then? Well, self-respect is recognizing that there are two different parts of you. There's the part of you that is pretty much just like an animal constantly looking to have its needs met. And it's just a voice that tells you that you should eat, that you should have sex, well, it doesn't really need to tell you that, but anyway, it's just telling you, it's kind of telling you to indulge. And I'm sure everyone's voice is a little bit different. I'm sure some people have like a more reined in voice, especially if they do a lot of meditation and other people might have a voice that sounds like Sam Kinison. Uh, I don't even want to do an impression of him, but he was a stand-up comedian. And 
it maybe is like a lot harder to deal with um, a voice that's just constantly yelling like what it wants. But the point is there's that part of you which is living for the now and then there's the part of you that is in the future. And the part of you that's in the future is praying that you will do things that will benefit it at some point. And so if you think about it, um, respecting yourself is respecting that part of you, the, the, the future you that is going to reap the rewards of your present behavior. And if you really respect yourself, you will make decisions that will make you feel good in the future. You'll do things that are very considerate to you in the future. And to give an example of that, um, if, for instance, you are extremely hungry and you have different food choices, you can cook something or you can get takeout, you might, you might be really hungry and really in the mood for Chinese food, but then as you're about to order it, you might be like, yeah, but if I eat this, I'm going to regret it or I'm going to feel like shit. And self-respect is pretty much, you know, just making the decision that even even if it sucks to make, you make it because you know that you respect yourself. And I guess that's like what, you know, if you if you think about like um, toxic relationships, you always hear people talk about, you know, that they don't respect themselves and this and that. But yeah, it's kind of what it is, right? It's like you do you do things, when you do things that are against your better judgment, you're not showing yourself a whole lot of respect. So uh, that is kind of like where I am trying to get to right now, where I'm just showing myself a little bit more respect. It's not easy. Um, I also think that like I've been binging, like seriously binging. And I used to just think like, oh, it's, it's just binging, right? Like people talk about binge drinking or they talk about binge eating. I'm talking about binge eating right now when I say this. Um, but they talk about it so casually, like, oh yeah, you know, I binged, I binged a TV show. Bro, binging isn't, like, if you binge eat, that's a, an eating disorder. I found that out um, earlier this week. And I actually think that I've been engaging in that, in that behavior. And I actually think that I, I could have an eating disorder. But it doesn't really matter um, for, for today's episode because when you just think about it in context, right? I mean, it does, it does matter, obviously. Um, and I'm, it's something that I'm working on. But when you think about it in context, we have these loose ends, right? As we're trying to become an, trying to become adults, trying to like eventually reach a place where we have families and people who, uh, and being able to take care of the people who rely on us, we need to be able to rely on ourselves as well. And that just becomes really difficult if you don't respect yourself and if you don't keep your promises to yourself. Um, there will always be a way out if you give yourself an excuse. So that's part of the reason that I like running so much is that it gives me an outlet for this like boredom that I have when I, when I get super bored. Um, but it's not, it's not enough always. Like yesterday, I went for an hour and a half run, and when I got home, I drank a little bit of water and immediately ordered takeout, and I'd already eaten dinner, so it was definitely like binging behavior. It was not ideal, um, but I'm just trying to become better at forgiving myself and just remembering that in the grand scheme of things, 
It's not, it's not about what happens in any one particular moment. It's about what the trends are and how it looks over a longer period of time. And if this only happens like once every so often, then I can still, you know, get the results that I want to get. And hopefully this will, as long as I like continue to be mindful, it will uh, trend downwards in this kind of destructive behavior. So yeah, that is uh, that's just a little bit of a, of a glimpse into my world. I'm blowing up balloons with my nose like a circus clown. And uh, I'm still eating way too much food. But I'm getting better. I'm getting better at it. Just trying to be more curious and observe what the emotions are that lead up that leads up to this behavior in general. And it's not just this behavior, it's also the desire to go out during the week, get a little crazy, um, and just do things in general that are maybe not aligned with my short-term goals right now. So just trying to be a little bit more curious, a little bit more forgiving, if you will. And uh, and yeah, that's really, really all I can all I can ask for, all I can do. So, where does this leave us? Well, as we are getting, as I, I guess, I don't really know um, how old you are, but as we are getting older and as I'm getting closer to my 30s, there are just some things that I would like to really work on and, and just figure out how to improve. And... I'm trying to have a little bit more of a structured approach to this to this topic. And so yesterday I created a I just wrote out on a piece of paper um, my ideal self. That was the title, and then three different columns. And then it was just the basic, you know, um, stop, start, continue framework. So things that I should stop doing things that I should start doing and things that I should continue doing. And then I applied the 80-20 rule, which says that 80% of the results are uh, generated by 20% of the efforts. And then I think there's like another rule that you can take it a step further and it's like 64-4. So 64% of the results are generated by 4% of the activity. So you apply the 80-20 rule to the 80-20 rule. Yeah. So that's uh that has been helping me a little bit and I'm I'm realizing like how easy it is to just like treat the symptoms and not really try to get to the core of the of the issues of these loose ends. And in my case, I think like a lot of loose ends that I have, like I'll give some examples for you. Um one of the loose ends that I have is like uh kind of like a hesitancy to commit but also like a very strong desire to find the person that I want to be with. So it's weird. It's like, I really want to end up with the right person, but I also have this like fear that, um, you know, once I, once I make the decision, like this is the person that I want to be with, that it's going to require some compromise that maybe I'm not prepared for. And something that I guess I've like come to the conclusion of is that like my own relationship with my father definitely plays a huge role in this. And it has since I was, you know, a little kid and growing up, seeing my mom never 
really have a serious relationship until I was like much, 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 much older. Uh, it definitely contributed as well. And so, you know, I kind of just didn't have an understanding of like what a relationship looks like up close. Even my grand, my grandparents, um, are divorced as well. So I just never really saw like what a healthy fam, like, you know, um, uh, two parent family dynamic is supposed to look like, except what I saw on TV. And that's the thing about like being, um, the child of a single parent is that you never really know what it's supposed to be like. And so when you do have your own kids, you kind of just have to like do the best that you can. And the hope is that as a single parent, I mean, this is just my, my feeling from my own, uh, experience with my mother, but my feeling is that like as a single parent your goal is to parent your children if you're a good parent and you put them above everything else and it can definitely be advantageous to find someone who you know takes care of you and makes you feel loved and seen but they also need to be a good fit for your child right so you need to actually find someone who's like good partner and father or mother material and that's not always easy it's it's much easier to find somebody who's like a good partner when you're both single without kids and you know you kind of just like get along super well but then once kids are brought in the picture it's just more complicated and i guess like the hope as a single parent is that you do find somebody that you want to be with and then you break this cycle of single parenting um, because it is a cycle. Like my mom's a single mom. Um, her mom was a single mom. And if I become a single dad, then my kid has to break the cycle or I have to, you know, like whatever it is, one of us has to, someone has to break the cycle it's too late for my mom to break the cycle because I don't live with her anymore. So I wouldn't even really experience that. And if I have a, a wife, you know, I, I want to make sure that I'm ready and that I don't, I don't really believe in divorce. I know that's a hot take, but I'm going to explain nothing to do with religion, nothing to do with politics, nothing to do with Scientology it really just has to do with my, by the way, I just said Scientology. That was a joke. I'm not a Scientologist. Okay. Just want to put that out there. <sighs> um, the reason I don't believe in divorce is that at least to me, once you get married, the goal is, it's a mission that you're on together. And the goal is to just like figure out how to make things work. But it's all about expectation setting from the start, I think. And just finding somebody who really sees you and really values you at your worst and wants what's best for you. But it means that you also have to be there for them as well. And so you can't have this like lopsided relationship where one person's a taker and one person is a giver. You can't have it where like both people are takers, but you can't have it where both people give. So... I think that's the healthiest is when both people support each other and they want what's best and they go out of their way for each other and they're thoughtful and you know you're gonna have moments when 
things are not great, but the reason that I don't believe in divorce is that I think that mindset of just saying like, well, if it gets really bad, then they're not the person for me and I'm going to divorce them if it doesn't work out. It gives you like this um, opening where when things don't go well, that's always on the table. And you might even like mention that at points in the relationship, like, yeah, you know, this isn't working out, blah, blah, blah. So I do tend to put quite a bit of pressure on myself for that reason. I think that's part of the reason that I have this fear um, or hesitancy, I should say, of commitment in that in that way. But it's not something that I'm like completely, I don't, I'm not afraid of, you know, finding the right person. I'm just afraid of ending up with the wrong person. So I don't know if that makes, if that makes enough sense, but. That's just kind of how I see it. So, yeah, um, going back, I guess, like loose ends, it's really just like figuring out where your shit is, like where the trauma is from earlier in your life and um, working through it in a constructive way and not beating yourself up and not uh, allowing other people to bring you down either because... I've also realized that there is a lot of that happening with friendships and, and colleagues and acquaintances. And a lot of it is unintentional, but people will say things and they won't realize, and you might not even realize the impact of that thing until that person's voice enters your head at a specific point and makes you feel a certain way. And it's up to you to decide how you're going to react to it. But the point is, there will definitely be times when someone says something unintentionally and then it gets in your head and you're like, oh, fuck, they're right. I don't know what I'm doing. Or, you know, I'm not good enough or whatever it is. And so I think another big loose end is just kind of removing either telling people not to share their opinions about you with them uh, or about you with you or just like ignoring when people say things like people have like friends and you know colleagues and um, acquaintances and people from high school they've reached out and you know given me some feedback and stuff on the podcast and it's great that people care and that they're listening but it's really not in my best interest to take that into consideration because I've mentioned this in like a previous episode. Once you start to incorporate feedback into some, into a hobby, it just becomes work and it's like a performance review. And then you're actually recording your episodes for your listeners and you're not actually doing it because you enjoy doing it anymore. And so while I really enjoy, while I really want my listeners to enjoy listening to this podcast, I think it's more enjoyable if it's something that I want to do rather than something that I feel like I have to do. So that's why I've had to turn down a lot of sponsors um, to to name a few of the sponsors that wanted to be, um, you know, featured on my channel. uh, AG, uh, Athletic Greens, um, Nike, um, uh, funny enough, Adidas as well. Um, The... Central Intelligence Agency. So I've had some, I've had some, um, you know, some people reaching out. They want to be sponsors, but 
I just feel like for me right now, it's more important that I focus on myself and focus on the things that make me happy. And then the rest will happen. And I'm also kind of curious, like if the way that I feel recently, which is kind of like out of touch with, um, I kind of just feel out of touch with like my deeper, deeper, deeper self recently. Like I've been making decisions that are not really aligned with the kind of person that I want to be. I'm wondering if like other people generally feel this way as well. If it's kind of like a result of the information that we are consuming as a society, or if it's just like, you know, a case by case basis, because I would be curious if like, um, you know, the, the way that the world is going economically and then um, militarily, I guess you can say. I wonder if that plays a huge role in the way that we feel um, or if it's more just like, you know, everyone's got their own shit, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I don't really know. I spend a lot of my day looking at news um, and news articles, but most of them are just sports news articles because I try to avoid the heavier stuff. But even that kind of brings me down a little bit because my American football team, the Dallas Cowboys, they find a way to break my heart every single year. And American football is my favorite sport. So it's kind of like what I live for. So every single year, what ends up happening is I look forward to the um, preseason starting in August. And then August through February, I watch football. And then March through July, I really have like nothing to look forward to sports-wise. And then I just kind of repeat the cycle. So spring and summer, I kind of just, uh, I just read the news about the team that I love. And then when the season starts, I just watch again. I'm just a sitcom character, it feels like, in that way. But I guess a lot of sports fans are like that, too. I just wish that I liked basketball more because I feel like basketball would be a really rewarding sport to watch. I also wish that I liked football more, like, you know, football, European football, um, or hockey. But, you know, I just haven't gotten into them yet. Or maybe even Formula One. That could be kind of cool. At some point in the next 10 years... I plan to be very wealthy and maybe Formula One will be a sport that I that I take up, <laughs> not that I take up, I'm not going to race cars, that I enjoy watching, that I start to go to events for, or golf. Who knows? But man, in 10 years from now, I'm going to be almost 40 years old. That just blows my mind. I guess that's how it is every single decade of your life. You know, when you're 10, you can't imagine being 20. When you're 20, you can't imagine being 30. And then life just goes so fast. So, yeah, we just got to make the most of what we have and try to find little pockets of hope and things to to be happy about. And that's kind of what what I'm trying to do right now. I'm just feeling really good. Um, I'm going to have this summer pretty much from the beginning of July where it's just my own business and I just figure out what works 
and do more of what works and try to prioritize that over all the other distractions. So I think for this episode, I want to say that's probably all I got for today. And I hope that you enjoyed it. It was a little bit different, I think, like pacing wise than normal episodes, but I, uh, yeah, I enjoyed, I enjoyed this one. It feels nice to to put something out there again after 16 days. And I'm going to try to be a little bit more consistent with it because it, it, um, you know, it brings me a lot of joy. So I'm going to jump off here. I hope that you enjoyed this episode and let me know what you think, but maybe don't. <laughs> you can if you want. Uh, always appreciate people reaching out and just saying that they enjoy it. And I will catch you in the next episode. I guess that's episode 28. All right, peace.